Christ is risen. Christ is Christos vos cres. Christos inesti. Please be seated. Today is Thomas Sunday. It is the eighth day. To the fullness of the first day, a resurrection is complete. And so at the end of the liturgy, I will uh, bless the artos, cut it, we will receive of it, and uh, then I'll come up and close the royal doors. So this has been one bright week in celebration of one day, the eighth day. The eighth day is the day created when Christ was risen from the dead. What did he do? He ascended to the Father, and the Father recognized him, his wounds, his glory, and he was enthroned at the right hand of the Father in heaven, body, soul, and divinity. And he was there in glory, and his first uh, visitation was that evening, and I think this is one of the last visitations in the bright period. Now, ending the bright period, uh, Thomas, uh, the apostles have uh, seen the Lord. The, mayor, the women especially saw him and witnessed to them that he was alive. Thomas, he was not a privilege to any of those visitations. So he comes with his to visit with the apostles, to be with them, and they are frightened. They're hiding out. And he comes, and they all proclaim to him, we have seen the Lord. And he proclaims that he will not believe it unless he sees it for himself. So it says in John's Gospel that the, the, the Lord, he walked through the doors, right through the doors. So his body was not like our body. We can't walk through doors, at least not yet. And Thomas put his fingers in his hands, his fists in his side, and said, my Lord and my God. I like it in, in Slavonic. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. The burden of the Gospels, all four of them, is to tell us about Jesus Christ risen. And the epitome of the gospel, and the most reduced gospel we can say is Christ is risen. Because the gospel is a message of life, of new life, of the eighth day, which is a heavenly life, which we all will achieve, please God, when we fall asleep in the Lord and he raises us up again. I know in our society, uh, somebody falls asleep and they disappear. We always have a question in our mind, did they die or not? Or did they disappear? And so Christians, anyway, have elaborate 
ceremonies over their dead. We anoint them with oil, and we uh, lay them out, and we bury them in the ground, usually, or in a tomb like our Lord was. And all, and we call the family together, and they see that this one who was amongst them is gone. The real person is gone. He's gone to live in the eighth day, the life after life, the new life. That's what we're celebrating today, the new life in Christ. Now, uh, I remember many, many times I had not lots of funerals when I was in the parish, only a few, four, four years before I went into the military. And we might have five funerals in a week. Because that parish was growing old. Most of those people were immigrants and their children they raised. Most of them went somewhere else to work or something. That's one of the bad things about America. It's hard to keep our family together. Its culture is one of destruction of the family, which cures us. One of the ways you destroy the family is not to let them see their, the dead, the person who's fallen asleep, your grandmother, your grandfather. Uh, I remember the uh, first person I think I saw that was deceased was my grandfather Wells. And I didn't know him too well anyway. I only met him a couple of times. And uh, I still have a toy that he gave me. So that's my main remembrance from him. I knew he was very sick because my mother took me there to see him. And he, he had emphysema. Couldn't breathe because he was a marble cutterer. He was an artist. He made altars and statues for the Roman churches and memorials. If you go to the Union Terminal uh, terminal for the train in uh, Chicago, my grandfather carved all those capitals on all those pillars there. So the next time I saw my grandfather, I went with my mother, and she took me to the funeral. I wasn't too keen on that, but it was okay. You have to learn about that. But my mother was really upset about it, and she passed out. So I thought she was going to be next, and I just threw a fit, you know. I couldn't imagine what was going to happen to my mother. But they got her to, and she picked me up and held me, and I was okay. Well, it's the same way with uh, our Lord. There had to be some kind of a showing of resurrection after his death so that all the disciples and apostles could believe. And so in the room of Mary, Our Lady was there. And probably she had some companions with her. And so he, would, Thomas, would say, I, I just don't believe this. Thus I see the nail prints in his hands and put my fist in his side, etc., etc., Although the doors were, were locked, it says in the uh, Gospel of John, and then when they were locked because they were scared to death, they didn't know what was going to happen to them. The master was gone. 
he walked through the door. Now, I can't get through a door without opening it. But his body was a spiritual body. It was a real body, but a spiritual body. So in this gospel, he reveals to us the qualities of a resurrected body. So he could walk through things. So he walks into the door. Of course, this is very curious. So was he a ghost? What, what was he? So Thomas goes over, and he puts, looks, examines his hands and sees the wounds. He could feel it with his fingers. He puts his fist in his side. He could feel him with his fingers. He probably fell down and said, my Lord and my God. And that was not only for Thomas, that was for all of us to believe in the physical resurrection of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ and to hope for the day when we will join him. Many times at the priest's life, you're taking care of very sick people. And uh, some people are really faith-filled and they are ready to die. Others are fright, frightened by death, especially if they did not have all the helps in this life that we have, the sacraments and the gospel and the church, and they're frightened to death. Some people are in great pain. So my grandmother, the, the uh, grandmother Wells, among all of her other uh, accomplishments, she was also a nurse. And she was in a room where a man was dying. And he was rolling on the bed and sort of yelling and carrying on. He was in great pain. So they called for a priest. So the priest came. He walked in the room. He had holy water with him. He said a short prayer and he took the holy water, north, south, east, and west, and the guy died. His soul left. Very interesting. But really, we should not be a fear of dying. Although it's not natural, God didn't make us for death. He made us for life. And so we should have that fear. And we should fear pain a sign that we're not in the condition we should be in. But we should not fear the hour of death itself. Now, who was with our Lord when he died? A whole crowd. His mother. Our lady, our court of ladies, the Marys. Uh, and the, the apostles from afar. Uh, the, the centurion. Uh, the uh, guards, the, the, the Roman soldiers, the cohort were there. The big crowd. That tells us that that was not an ordinary person. There's something special about him, and they know that. And, of course, the nature itself cried when he died. The clouds were open. There was thunder and rain. And, and he said, Eli, Eli, Lamech, Sapachthani, in Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
and he breathes his last breath. But it was not over. So Joseph of Arimathea was there, and he had a garden, and he got he asked for Jesus. He was a secret disciple of Jesus, and he got the body, got it down. Probably the mother was there. We have the famous Pieta in Rome. I saw it once in America. They brought it over, and they had it at the seminary. And she's holding our Lord on her lap. Well, it was going to be um, the Sabbath. And, of course, you could not keep a body. You had to bury the person before sundown, especially on the Sabbath, which was the holy day. So they rushed, they wrapped him up and rushed him in the air. Jonathan Arathia took to the garden and put him in the tomb. Well, that was not complete. So the morning, in the morning, the women went to the tomb with all the costly perfumes and anointments to anoint Jesus. We do the same thing. I'm six foot priest. And, uh, only find that he was risen. So, what was in the tomb? It was the piece of cloth that covered his face. It was the shroud. So we have we think we have those things still. We have the shroud of Turin, which belongs to the royal family of Italy. We have uh, two cloths actually. One's in Spain. And we have a Veronica Vale. I don't think there's such a thing as Veronica Vale. That's just something we don't know about from Scripture. And uh, they were all folded up. The dead man doesn't fold up things, does he? Is an angel there? Who folded up the thing? So I think all those things possibly are still with us because they cherished them and they took them with them out of the tomb. He, not him, but the, the ladies and the men. But, of course, Peter went into the tomb first, then the men, then the, the women. They had to wait. So then on the evening of, uh, of Jesus' uh, resurrection, they're walking to, uh, on the road to Emmaus there, and uh, he appears to them. They, can't, who, they don't know who he is. So he gave us one of the great clues, right? He broke bread and blessed it and gave him the blessed sacrament. sacrament. And they said, in the receiving of the breaking of the bread, they recognized Jesus. And we still do that. In the breaking of the bread, we recognize Christ as present amongst us. And then finally, this Sunday, this eight days, um, he's there and he walks to the door. Thomas comes, the doubting Thomas, they say in the Western Church. I like to say the believing Thomas. And there they are, and he comes. Glorified, beautiful, lovely, all healed. He probably healed up while he was laying in the tomb. Now, why did he do these things? They weren't important to him. He was God, man, and he was all fixed up, right? He can't really never die. And there was, uh, there he was. It was for you and I. We weren't in that room. 
but he's giving us a witness of the people that were there that he really came back to life with a glorified body. I think uh, one of the most fascinating things I've done this past year is a little private study of the Acts of the Apostles. Of course, we read the Acts of the Apostles now during Easter. We read John's Gospel and the Acts of the Apostles during the Easter season. Because it tells about not only about the earthly Lord Jesus, but also about his heavenly life and what he was like and what he still is like. All these things that we would have not lose hope, put our, put our faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope, our life, and our eternal life. He is the real McCoy, as we say. He's the beautiful gift of the Father to us. It's sort of a, amazing that God loved us so much, it says in Scripture, that he sent his son. But what did his son have to do? Go through passion, death, resurrection, and suffering, and preach, and people still do not accept the message. That's tragic for them. It's tragic to die without the lips on your, on your, your, on your lips the name of Jesus. A lot of saints have done that. A lot of saints said some of the witnesses that uh, Jesus' appearance uh, after his resurrection, like Mary, the other ladies, and the apostles in the upper room, there they were. And sometimes you hear deaths where people do have help from heaven. That's where that's where it's quite a gift, is it not? Quite a gift. So people talk about dying. So well, I just want to fall asleep and die. I'm sort of. A, I'd like to see somebody come for me. I, I, I'm really a high roller. I'd like to see a lady come for me or somebody like that. Of course, I can't count on that. But when you think of the really meaning of the eighth day, you can have hope. The eighth day, when after the resurrection, Jesus was in the heavenly kingdom, and he came those apostles. So we've had the eighth days now, from Sunday to Sunday, bright week, a time of visitation of the Lord. We've eaten candy, and we've had all sorts of foods that we didn't eat during Lent, and now we're probably fat and uh, probably got a tummy ache. It wasn't remarkable. But each day in the in the each day in the little chapel, we went, we sang the resurrection matins, shining splendor, and all that. We sang at the table. We sang it at night prayer. We sang it all those times celebrating the life of Christ, which is amongst us. I know when you are a baby, mom and dad brought you to church to be baptized. And we were taught our sins were taken away. What was taken away was original sin, but not its effects. But what was given was life in Christ through the Holy Spirit. So think of that. 
when you're tempted to do something wrong, when you're not saying your prayers, when you're just lazy in general. Think of who you are, who are Christians. The first all Christians in Antioch, where the apostles were sent, the teachers there, Ignatius of Antioch was there, all these famous people, and they started our theology. And some of them uh, wrote things down, like an epistle or a gospel, like Paul, who's later there. So yesterday, we had the feast of uh, St. George. And they always say about George and the dragon and all this. There was a St. George. He's not a fable. And he was alive in the time of Diocletian, the great persecutor of Christians. But Diocletian decided he'd make himself a god. He was a Roman emperor. Even if you're a Roman emperor, I don't know how you make yourself god, but he decided. But he found out by accident that his wife and all her ladies-in-waiting in the household were Christians. How did he find that out? was they found in the possession of these women a scroll of the writings of St. Paul. I don't know what the writings were, but he knew that was Christian writing. And finally, George came into it. He was a part of the court. He was centurion. He wore the purple, which means he was could have been heir to the throne, at least in that family. And he came in, before the emperor, he, he, he confessed that he was a Christian in all his beautiful armor as a military man. And uh, so the, the, the Diocletian had them all killed. St. George, his wife, all the ladies, just because they found them with an epistle on uh, no, not no Bible yet. That's too early. Just an epistle written on, like a letter, written on a piece of parchment. And they were glad to die for Christ because of the resurrection. So around this time of year, in the liturgy, we have the liturgy of twelve apostles. You know, each days are dedicated to them in liturgy. George, these famous people, who lived. Uh, and believed in Christ and, and witnessed to his resurrection. Your job is to hold the resurrection close in your heart through those divine energies that God gives you through the sacraments and Holy Communion. Your job is to announce the world with joy that Christ is risen. And your hope is to rise with him soon. It's no longer how long we live, it's a short time, and then the end of the world will come. So I heard on the news, somebody's talking about the end of the world. Well, Jesus said, we know not the day than the hour. And he says, only the Father knows. He's being honest. And the early father said, it was going to be about the year 8,000. Now, I don't know how they knew that. But we're a long way off from 8,000. But for all of us in this chapel, 
it's closer than we think that we'll fall asleep in the Lord. But we should not be afraid. We should love. And we should confess my Lord and my God, as did Thomas. And we confess that Christ is our Savior, and he is risen, and so am I. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.